Hello there, a bit Spursy listener. It's me, Barney. And me, Dan. And we are here to tell you some fantastic news. We have started a free Discord to which you can go on and chat all things Tottenham Hotspur and other related concepts. <laughs> yeah, to join that, uh, head to discord.gg slash a bit Spursy. That's correct. We also now have a Patreon to which you can pay for Spurs-related content. <laughs> and it sounds like a scam. It's not a scam here. It's, it's not a scam. We're not scamming. We're not scamming. It's, uh, look, we, we love uh, you know creating this podcast and there's a whole bunch of other things that we want to do with some streams, uh, some watch-alongs and, and these sort of bits and pieces. If you would like to help us out and support us there, we'd really appreciate it. We'll be able to create more Spurs, Spurs content and uh, sort of have fun doing that. So if you'd like to do that, uh, please head to Patreon com slash a bit uh, The more of you that are on the Patreon, the less time I have to spend in the coal mine, which is my job. <laughs> so let's get Barney out of the coal mine. And uh, yeah, all links can be found uh, on our website at abitspursy.com. We're still not perfect, but uh, we improve every single day. We're enjoying, uh, enjoying playing together. Merry Christmas is what I would be saying if it was Christmas time, but it is kind of like Spurs Christmas because that's how well we're playing. Welcome to another episode of A Bit Spursy. I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And Merry Spurs Christmas, Barney. Merry Spurs Christmas to you, Dan. <laughs> what a fantastic game we witnessed on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, another another excellent result. We're getting a bit too accustomed to getting up in the 4-5 nils. I'm, mm. I'm worried about mm. what happens when we don't have that, what we'll start feeling. Oh, meltdown. It'll be a meltdown. Um, yeah, we'll start, we'll start, you know, usually if it's a one nil win, you know, Spurs fans, we're usually like, well, well, you know, it was only one nil, you know, it was lucky, blah, 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 blah. It'll start creeping out. It'll be like two or three nil. We'll be like, it's only two or three nil. Like we need to be sort of pumping them. Um, but yeah, it was such a bizarre game to win four nil because after we scored, you know, I think it was in the you know third minute. After that, we just got pummeled for an entire half. I mean, I've heard a few takes about us, you know, it being um, we got monstered for the whole game, and I don't think that's particularly true. Um, I don't know how you can get monstered and, and um, win 4-0 and get uh -huh. monstered by the other team. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I don't really know who is making those takes, but I, I think that is one of the more ridiculous things I've heard. Yeah, absolutely. Um. It's, I mean, it was like, you know, Gerard set up in a way that, you know, they, they wanted to break all our players. Um, but unfortunately it, it was sort of weird watching it because it was like, okay, so I can see what you're trying to do with the press and the aggressiveness. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> like, why is the defense so open when you know that we're going to want to counterattack? It was a strange setup and hence four nil. Yeah. I... I thought it was interesting. So especially because we scored at, like you said, in the third minute, you'd think that that surely would bring a bit of an alteration to their game plan because suddenly we weren't playing the rest of that half going, oh, no, oh, no, we can't concede, we can't concede, we can't concede. We're like, well, we've got a goal, so we just we don't want to concede, but we're still in the, like, you got to go for it already. Um, it just seemed very, very naive to me from Gerard. 
And I think maybe you mentioned to me that Gerard said something after the game about like, oh, we're a one half team. It's either first half or second half or something along those sort of lines. But I mean, I just thought it was just, like I said, completely naive. And even the pundits at halftime with our dear, dear friend, Tim Sherwood, um, mm. who, when they were talking about Villa and he was like, they're going to keep going all game, all game, won't stop. And I'm watching, I'm like, there's actually no way, like, it's clear to everyone that they cannot do this for the whole game. They were even fading at the start of the, uh, sorry, at the end of the first half. Yeah. It was hilarious how he at halftime was like, if Spurs continue to play like this, it, they're done for. They're absolutely <laughs> done for. Um, that's terrible stuff. And Villa are coming for him. And then second half, we just score immediately and then win 4-0. It just really shows you, one, how disastrous it was that he was our manager. And two, <laughs> um, how terrible he is as a pundit. Like, it's it's shocking. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. And, and that's why just watching and watching those words come out of his mouth, I was like, I believe it because in the sense of, I believe that Tim Sherwood would say this, but I also can't believe that this is a pundit that is paid to actually analyze the game somewhat and give these sort of comments. Because I think even, even the, you know, the most, I guess, basic fan at home could have seen Villa cannot sustain this. Um, and it just makes me think, like, I wonder what it is about football pundits that we just kind of gravitate towards ex-players and it doesn't seem to really matter who they are, um, especially when you compare this to other sports. Like if you say watch an NBA game, they have a lot of ex-NBA players commentating, but all the ones who go into that role, they're very charismatic. They speak very well and they actually do offer insight as uh, you know, as the game goes along or at halftime. Um, whereas it seems just like with a lot of football pundits, it's like, and especially our, our other dear friend, Barney, a man that you hold very dear to your heart, Mr. Jim Beglin. Mm. They're just idiots. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I assume it must be something to do with the producers and they get told what to say and they need to do this thing and they need to take this role around this piece and blah, blah, blah. It's a bit like how when that Lukaku st stuff was going down and all of them were absolutely going savage on him. And then the last minute all of a sudden they were like, well, uh, they gave like the counter argument for one minute. Up. It was like a 13 minute clip. And it's like, this isn't balanced. Like this is, this is ridiculous. Um, oh God, I really, really enjoyed actually watching before. Cause you know, it was uh, quite a run into the Spurs game here in Australia where we had uh, Manu first for Everton, Then we had the Arsenal game and then we had us and watching Owen Hargreaves <laughs> be a pundit for the Manu game was a joy to watch because at the end he didn't have anything. He couldn't come up with anything to say that um, had any kind of substance or impact. So he literally said, and this is a direct quote, United just need to run around a bit more. Like that is literally what he said out of the Harry Redknapp uh, school <laughs> of managing, except done with less, um, I don't want to say integrity because Harry Redknapp doesn't have that, but like um, <laughs> vibe, no vibe, just just terrible. No vibe at all. And I know a similar one we've spoken about too, Paul Scholes, who has even less vibe, but it's right. Like X-Man United players, they just seem to absolutely swan into the gig like there's nothing. And they, they, literally, they say nothing. They could just get away with saying nothing. Oh, kick the football. And like, it's, that's it. It It's, there is so, I, I it kind of like, it doesn't infuriate me because I don't get that much, but it, it does annoy me that it's, it's like, you surely could just find some other 
people who they don't even have to be ex players, but who can actually offer something like make it worthwhile for the fans to have to listen to this stuff, either pre-match or half game or post game. Um, and it's like, you know, sometimes the actual hosts, like they're okay because I mean, they're not players. <laughs> they are just in there to talk, but it's just, it's so ridiculous that, you know, you have the, the host sometimes constructing a very elegant question and then the pundit just like, Oh, I don't know. Kick it harder. Um, it's, yeah, it's yeah the host, the, the, the host will be like, so in terms of, um, that particular phase of play, what we can see is that there is an, uh, there is some kind of, uh, press happening while also attempting to trap the ball, um, in the left-hand side of the pitch. What do you think of that, Tim Sherwood? And he's like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> um, I'm Tim, I'm Tim Sherwood. Like it's, it's bananas. I can't. I can't believe it exists. I mean, uh, the fact that we're even talking about this after we've won 4-0 is so classic Spurs yeah, well, fan <laughs> and that we're whinging about something after we played the way that we played. We've we've been sucked into this for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So should we get on to the game? Yeah, I think let's go on to the game. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, we started with the game and then yeah. it, it veered off, but... Um, yeah, I think we, we probably kind of summed up a lot of what was happening in the first half, apart from, say, maybe giving props to Hugo, who I think he really deserves a lot of credit because he did kind of keep us in that first half. And you would have to say if we didn't have Hugo, if we had Galini in there, um, or if Villa had slightly better players, um, they probably should have scored a couple of goals. Absolutely. And um, I think it's, it's always... Um good of Hugo that after, you know, two to three weeks after we've been like, Hugo's good, but is it time we get a new goalkeeper? He puts in a performance like this. Um, so long may the Spurs podcaster who doubts Hugo Lloris live because it's seen, <laughs> he must listen to all of them. Um, and that inspires him to put in a performance like that, like a spoiler for the bit Spursy medal, but it's, I, I would find it very difficult not to give him top votes. Like it was fantastic. Like his reaction saves, uh, he was back to the Hugo that we all know and love. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it shows that even though there are concerns with Hugo's ball playing ability, um, and he did have a bit of a pretty bad error in the, in the second half, um, where he did give the ball away. <laughs> you know, pretty close to, to the box. And, and again, Villa should have, you know, probably scored, but shot stopping. He's still, he's still world-class and he's still, that's where he excels. And yeah, that for the most part, hasn't really gone away. I know we were a bit critical of him in the Newcastle game and thought that he should have done better. And I still think he should have done better with that free kick. But um, yeah, there were some saves in this game, which it, they weren't just down to like, sometimes goalkeepers are made to, they get made to be, sorry, they get made to look good just based on a shot being hit kind of towards them. And then it's like, they just kind of palm it away and do a bit of a, like a diving save. And then it, everyone's like, oh, wow, how amazing. But then you look at the replay and it's like, no, oh, well, they should pretty comfortably save that. Um, but that one that I think, I don't think it was, I can't, I can't remember the Villa play who came through, but where they came through, did a bit of a jinking run through the left. And then they were shooting high near post. And Hugo got his arm up to it. Um, that was reflex safe. That, like that was not just Hugo was lucky that it hit him. Um, that was like a world, world class save. And yeah, he had, he had a number of moments where he, he did sort of show maybe he, yeah, maybe he did listen to our last podcast and he's like, I'm going to shut these guys up about talking about whether I should be captain or not. Here is a captain's performance in this first half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put in 
the most resolute captain's performance uh, that we've seen all season. <laughs> um, yeah, well done, Hugo. Um, my foot is firmly in my mouth. Um, I guess the good of this game, like, you know, like Romero is just phenomenal. Um, what a, what a signing, what a player. And then on top of that, like Kulusevsky, I just, every time I watch him, it's like, what happened at Juventus? I guess, you know, the Ronaldo thing, which he's now doing at Man U, which is great. Um, Wait, breaking, breaking other fans' phones, <laughs> coming down yeah, the tunnel. Yeah, what? <laughs> and then inviting yeah. that fan to come to old, old Trafford for a game. Like, it's just, it's bizarre. It's weird. Oh, it's just bananas. Um, like, he's, Kulusevsky is so good. Like, I am shocked. Um, I thought he would be good from who we'd spoken to on the pod and and I from the very limited, like, Palmer things that I'd seen and, and the hype that I'd read. But I didn't think he'd be this good. Um, the way he slotted into that front three, his um, composure in the final third, um, his physicality, like, he's real. like, again, it's like how... How can we um, possibly doubt our our Lord and Saviour Paratici uh, when we've got uh, Bendiker, who had a great game, Kulisetsky, and then we've got Romero as well. It's, um, yeah, three really, really good signings. Oh, definitely. And I think the thing that's standing out more and more about Kulisetsky is he's kind of an old man in how he plays. Like, he's he definitely seems like um, the play, cause we, and we know that he is faster than what he looks like but he doesn't really play with pace. Like that's not his main attribute. Like for the assist he got for Son, like he kind of sat down Mings and that wasn't through breaking pace. That was just through just holding onto the ball well, cutting back in and just being very clever with it. Um, but he's kind of playing like a player who's gone off, had a career for, you know, 15, 20 years. And then he's come back to like his home country and he's playing for like, you know, a local team. And it's like, you watch him and you're like, oh, he doesn't look that athletic, but my, he's still got the touch. Um, it kind of reminds me like in the last week, there's been these clips of uh, um, Totti uh, that have popped up online with him playing like five aside or seven aside in Italy now. And I think he's like 45 now and he just gets the ball. And it's like, if you haven't seen them, it's worth looking them up and checking them out. But he, he just gets the ball and he just thumps it in like four times. And you're just like, all right, <laughs> this guy's pretty good. Um, but he doesn't, you know, he, he's obviously put on a little bit of weight and he's not as mobile as he, as he used to be. Um, and to me, Kulisevsky, he kind of reminds me of that, which is very unexpected of such a young player that you would get them playing with that sort of maturity. And like his decision-making seems absolutely excellent. And I think if you put that in contrast to someone like Lucas Mora, who is kind of like the child that never grew up and his decision-making has not improved and he kind of plays like a very excitable 19 year old and Kulisewski is the absolute opposite. And it just shows us like the vast difference of like what we kind of needed to really make that front three, you know, up there with like, is this the best attack in the league? Yeah, absolutely. And um, like everyone's gotten very excited about, you know, the best attack in the league. And I think just sit in it for now because <laughs> like, really they do look like, you know, the best attack in the league. And, I think it was Wheeler Diller Radio used to have a um, have a bit about Christian Eriksen being a time lord, and I think that was more about him sounding uh, and appearing like an alien uh, than than slowing down time. But Kulisevsky <laughs> does feel like a time like when the ball comes to him, it's like 
time slows down and he is able to do things like he doesn't look like he's moving very fast, but he's able to do things that, um, yeah, don't seem possible within that time frame and the way that he moves. I mean, for his goal, or maybe it was for the assist for the Son, the fourth uh, goal, or Sonny's third, um, he starts the play and then is quick enough to get into the box so that then he can play it across to Son. I think it must be the, the fourth goal. And it's like such a clear indication of how quick he actually is. Um, it's so bananas to see you know, like especially all the worries about him not being very quick when in reality, and we've seen the stats of his sprint speed, like he is actually quite fast. Um, it's, yeah, I just, I'm like in awe of the fact that we have him and he's 21 years old. It is wild. Yeah. And I think that's a really good comment about the time and being able to slow that down because yeah, in that fourth goal, like he, he's, he's got so much time and I don't know how. Um, mm. because from when he's in the box, when he loses Mings, he t- doesn't give the ball off straight away. He's calm enough to just sit on it for another second or two and then find, go s- like see on and go, all right, cool. Great. And he finds the pass. And again, he doesn't even like have to like really whip the pass in he just very calmly slots it to him. Um, and it's ridiculous. And it's sort of similar for his goal where he kind of, I wouldn't say like fumbled it, but when it came through off the header, his first touch wasn't great, but he's recovered so well. And then he didn't even have to beat the defender. Like he just sort of like, again, paused, took a moment or so, and then just buries it like bottom corner. And that's a pretty hard finish because again, there's a defender right in front of him and it's just so calmly hit. Like there's no rush of blood to the head. It's like, he knows what he wants to do. Or even if he doesn't know what he wants to do, he's going to take his time to work that out. Um, yeah. It's yep. so great. It's so great. And I, I feel like watching that goal, I, I can't remember, one of my various enemies called it in a way that was like, he gets a bit lucky because it goes through the defender's legs. And I was like, well, no, you can see that he waits until the defender lunges and then he hit, you know, like he or not, even because he's a time Lord, but he, he like almost knows when it's going to happen so that then he can time it and shoot and nutmeg them for a goal. Um, it seemed so composed to me and like, he was so, it was so meaningful the way that he, he shot. Um, yeah, I can't put into words the amount of praise that I, <laughs> I want to heap on him. Like it was fantastic. Definitely. And I think like, um, on the goal, like he does take that little extra touch, which does send, I think it's Mings again sends him to the ground. And so it's like, to just say, yeah, he got, he got lucky. It's like, no, no, no. It's like, it's very controlled to go, right, I'm going to look like I'm going to go further out wide, which then com- makes Ming, um, Ming's commit. And then he just like <laughs> plays it back um, sort of behind him. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. Like I can't remember signing a player who has clicked this quickly. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I'm honestly, I'm just trying to like rack my brain and think: is there someone like, I don't know, maybe Delhi possibly, like because he kind of came in, um, pretty solid. But like, I mean, someone, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It shouldn't be happening. We should still be going like, oh, is Kulusevski good or not? Like, we don't really know. He needs more time to settle. No, we should. He's a re-, like all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's like it just feels great that, you know, we have we have just such a smart player in there, and you know. Someone who just seems to really, really revel in getting involved in battles as well. And he doesn't sort of shy away from those. And he loves 
you know, kind of going at a player, but again, not just trying to use his pace and then that's it. It's like, it seems like he likes the challenge of the game and he doesn't sort of get pushed around it either. Oh, absolutely. And like, I wonder, my, my theory is kind of, because he's such a, a big guy, he's almost able to do this thing where he, with his body where through momentum, he's able to make it look like he's going one way, but in actual fact, he's going to go the other way. But he uses the way, like, <laughs> he uses the forces of space and time to um, <laughs> to allow him to, like, fool defenders. And then secondly, his celebration for his goal was maybe my favourite celebration of the entire season. Like, he's so, so pumped. And there's, like, no um, show. I mean, I don't really mind showmanship whatever but it's like pure passion there's no like he hasn't pre-prepared a little celebration he's just <laughs> bashing himself in the chest and yelling um it was awesome he just gets so lost in the moment doesn't he yeah completely completely lost in the moment i on our other uh january signing benjaker like i felt like he had a pretty good game but i also can't really remember anything that he did which i guess is probably like a good pass like a good seven out of ten <laughs> Yeah, I think that's also fine sometimes. Like, if we didn't really notice a player massively throughout a game, that's not bad. Um, and I think that it's it's going to be difficult. When we play this well, it's going to be difficult for everyone to be sort of have standout games um, because there's usually a couple that sort of like, you know, steal the headlines and everyone else played at a pretty good level, but they just didn't play at like scoring a hat-trick level. Um, mm. So they sort of get, get lost off. But... Yeah, I kind of think especially in that role in sort of central midfield, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's good to have games where we don't necessarily notice those plays because I think they're doing a lot of the things, they're doing a lot of the, um, what would you call it? Not the ugly stuff because I think that it's not like we've got just brutes in there, but they're just doing a lot of the basics well um, in order to sort of fuel the team and get them pushing forward. And mm. sometimes Benton Kerr, especially, and I mean, Hoybier does it as well. They do have, you know, some killer balls that they put through. Uh, but sometimes if they're not doing that, it's like, yeah, you know, we're not really going to notice them too much. And I, d I don't think that's an issue either. Mm. I think uh, two separate things, but I think with um, Hoybier, there's one moment where he gets done really badly in the first half and then yanks, um, I can't remember who it is, back. Um, and it's a yellow card and fair enough. It's a yellow card. It's ironic that we're the ones to get a yellow card first after what they've been doing. Um, but to me, yeah, he shouldn't have been beaten, but the difference between him and other midfielders that we've had in the last couple of years is that he will, he will grab the dude and be like, nah, you're not getting past me. That's it. Like you've beat me, but I, you will not now venture into the box. I'll do anything to stop you. Whether there are other midfielders that we have, Harry Winks, um, that would get beaten and then would, wouldn't do that. And it's like, that was, he gets a yellow, like, you know, you don't want that. But at the same time, he prevents what could have been a goal just by, you know, um, using a bit of graftmanship. Um, and the other thing is like, it's such a strange weekend to be a Spurs fan because uh, one, our new signings uh, all have bedded in really well and look really good. Two, the teams around us all uh, lost um, and we won really <laughs> like convincingly and solidly. Um, and I can't remember what three was. So let's just go with two. Let's just go with two. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I, th I think on the, on the Hoybier point as well, uh, 
I think that's right. Like you watch the, you watch the, the, I was going to say the top teams, but like we are a top team. We're, we're in that as well. But you know, you watch any of those games and they all fall for players that foul. Um, and they'll have players that will do annoying fouls and it happens against us too, where we'll be on a break and they will go, nah, we're just going to pull you down. I'll take the yellow, but I want you to, I do not want you to score that. I'm just willing to do that. Um, and it happens across the board and yeah, you need players that do that. And you know, it's just all game management too. It's like, if a player is doing that in the first 10 minutes, you're going to be like, Woof. but then at the same time, if it's a clear goal scoring opportunity, that's going to come from it. We'd rather have that player on a yellow and have the other team not score than, you know, open up and, and sort of go through. So I think as long as the team as a whole is managing it and we don't get into a situation where suddenly we've got all center backs, all, all defensive midfielders, all wing backs, all on yellows in the same game. Um, I think we can kind of end up covering for those situations and, um, yeah, but it, but it was interesting that we, Hoybier got a yellow for that when really the, the pullback, I, and I think it was on Coutinho, it was very, very, very mild. And then mm. you look at now, you know, the tackle from Cash on Doherty and Doherty's now injured for the season. Yep. Um, and I, like on the Discord, on the match day um, thread, we were all just sort of going off and they're like, how, how what is happening with this refereeing? Because I do understand, you know, there's an element of a referee wanting to let the game run. But this was way more than that. And the fact that that cash tackle comes in on Doherty and, like, it's two-footed, like, not two-footed, like, up in the air, but two-footed wrapping around Doherty. It's obviously injured him enough to put him out for the season. And that was a first sort of tackle that was like that. And the ref, by not even giving that a card, um, or I don't even know if he gave it a foul. I think it was just a throw-in. Um, that sort of then sets the trend of like, okay, anything similar to that is okay and is allowed, which Villa then pushed on from and they started going in pretty heavily. And I know mm. like, yep, you know, if they're going to come out and be physical, fine, that's one thing. But I think they were over the line in terms of that aggressiveness. And it's almost like, because just because they have Steven Gerrard as their manager and at times, <laughs> especially when he was younger, he was a very kind of like aggressive player, um, I don't think you should just get away with that and applaud it and be like, oh, well, Gerard's fine. Oh, he's got them. Look at him. He's got them being physical. It's like he's got them fouling <laughs> yeah. and he's not getting punished. And that's not something that should be applauded. Totally. Uh, I've remember, my third thing was the strange thing was that um, when Doherty got injured, the reaction was like, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which like even like a month ago, if you can imagine the reaction being like that, <laughs> I just, I, I can't. Um, but yeah, I agree. That tackle was bananas. Most Spurs fans would be like, oh, you've oh, Doherty injured. I'll pay for that to happen. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to see him anywhere near this first team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like the fact that Reggio was coming on and like, even myself trying to, like, I like to think of myself as fairly measured or level-headed when I'm watching. I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, not Reggio. Oh, for Doherty, that's not good. Like that is crazy that that is uh that's the state of play at the moment but also like on the tackle I, I agree with you like it it got kind of brushed over in the broadcast because it was like well Steven Gerrard's their manager and Steven Gerrard he kills a man with his fists and that's what he's got them doing like he's he's a proper old school and it was like oh come on like really is that where we is that where we are um but like the fact that it get called and then Villa went on from, it felt to me like, I was like, is this battle of the bridge two, but Birmingham edition, <laughs> except we didn't then, um, 
retaliate. We, I mean, we, we put up with the physicality and were physical back, but we weren't then getting annoyed and flying in and stamping mm. on people's hands and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it just makes me think of that footage where it was, I can't remember which game it was, but Romero does some ridiculous tackle on someone and gets a yellow, I think it was two weeks ago. And you see uh, Conte being like yelling at him, being like, don't do that. Don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's the, that's the manager's effect where they, they go, okay, they're going to be physical. We're going to be physical back, but we're not going to take the bait basically. It was yeah. very cool. Yeah. And I think that it kind of plays into what Conte spoke about a little while ago, which is actually very, very interesting because it's a direct polar opposite to him. Um, where mm. he says that we, our players are too emotional in games, yeah. <laughs> which is what he said <laughs> when he's absolutely going ballistic the whole game on the touchline. But I think this was maybe the first time we've really seen that come out that we, like what you said, we didn't get sucked into this, um, physical battle with them. And we still kind of like, um, we weathered that storm and we held up, but we, we didn't snap back. And I think that maybe in previous years, we may have been a bit, little bit more likely for some of our players to snap back, but you're right. There was just a lot of calmness across the board. Um, still like, you know, going up to the ref or like, you know, standing ground, but it was, it was a much calmer way to deal with it and almost seeing it as a compliment from Villa of like, okay, well, our way for us to try and get into this game is we need to try and like break you. We, uh, we can't come and, and, and outplay you. And I think now having the, the, the plays, you know, that like a Kulisevsky, like a Benton Kerr, like, like a Romero plays who have very cool heads, um, under pressure. Um, I think that changes it massively where we just, we're not getting sucked in to that. We're like, all right, keep doing it. Okay, cool. Keep doing it. See what happens. See what happens at the end of the game. Mm, mm. And I, I put, I mean, you're right. You know, Benton Kerr, I think, uh, would be ready to, uh, do a Gerard and kill anyone with his fists. And Kulisevsky definitely has like a, uh, a solidness and an, a, a good aggressiveness, but like I put it down to, uh, Pierre where he is so solid, so aggressive, but also knows the line and knows, and because he's so, you know, you like, he doesn't shut up for the entire game. Like I assume, my, well, my theory is that he has a, uh, has a quite a, um, potent effect on making sure that we push it, but we don't push it too far. Um, like it was great to see like uh, Kane and Kulisewski did it a couple of times. Hoybier did it a couple of times talking to the ref and you could see them motioning with their hands being like, they've done four of those fouls. They've done four of that. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, so biased, obviously, but it didn't seem petulant or, or like you're trying to, it was just them being like, this is what's happening. What are you going to do about it? Um, which is such a solid, uh, standpoint, I think to come at the ref at, uh, with, it was, yeah, it was great. Oh, definitely. And I, I mean, like, you know, a lot of the arguments and this is where, again, going back to like the punditry and the commentary and how very basic it is, is like, they still refer on that cash tackle. They, I think it was Beglin who started sort of going on like, well, he got bull. And you're like, like it's not, it's a reckless challenge. Like this whole, like he got ball and, and then that's it. Then everything else is fine. Is like, what other sport go? Oh, don't worry. He got ball first, but it was so reckless that he like endangered the safety and physically, like, you know, and physically injured another player, but he got ball first. So that's fine. We're just completely allowing that to happen. Um, 
And I think it's like stuff like that. There has to be just a much firmer, there must, it has to be like a firmer sort of, um, ax that's being wielded, um, when those sort of challenges happen, because it, it, it would be the same if it, if, if it happened the other way. And one of our players had done that. We would, we would be sitting here going like, well, you know what? Harry was pretty lucky to stay on, stay on the field. Um, and all that. So I, I think it's like it, those are the things that kind of frustrate me when, especially when we have, we live now in an age of VAR and there's just still this sort of like, well, we can check this, but we can't check that. Or we can check it if it's maybe, we can maybe check if his toenails like a millimeter in front of the other guy's like elbow here, but we can't check if he broke his leg almost. <laughs> like it just seems so ridiculous in how, and I'm not saying, okay, let's just VAR every single challenge. But there has to be some point where you can go, hang on, you haven't even given a foul for this. This is a pretty dangerous tackle. You might want to just reconsider. Yeah, totally. Like the like the irony and the frustration that comes from the fact that the Premier League have made their own rules about what VAR can and can't do. And then something like that happens and it's like, we can't, we can't do anything because um, if he was offside, we would tell you, but we cannot <laughs> do anything here. It's like, we'll just... You are the governing body, change the rules. But like also like the idea that like refs, you know, I understand that they are um, professionals and that their ability, you know, is obviously as a referee, you know, in the top echelon of whatever it means to be a referee. Um, but <laughs> it's like sometimes their line of sight is impeded by players. And unfortunately, there's no training that's going to allow them to have a uh, vision that can see through solid objects. So there is, there is this like gray area or this, this lack of um, attention to that, where it's like, it's not a clear and obvious error by the ref in the sense that their decision-making is wrong. It's, it's because they literally couldn't see it or because they um, were still running back from the previous play. And because of that, they are, they're, they're fatigued and they might miss something. It's like, well, that, that's human. That's being a human and having a human officiate the game. Yeah. But if you've got this other, uh, like safety barrier, use it. Like why, why would you not be using it for those kind of situations? Definitely. <clears throat> Definitely. And I think the game doesn't suffer if you have that more sort of active involvement. And I think it probably goes that it's just weird how they've got it. It's like, yeah, the ref on the field has the authority. Okay. In some ways, good. But then also the person who then probably has access to the best data um, can't actually make <laughs> all recommendations in in all those instances. Like an example, not from our game, but I'm because um, we watched the the Liverpool City game um, last night. There was uh, an incident. It was later in the the second half, I think, where Salah cut in, had a shot, and I think it came off a City player, and it was such an obvious deflection. And Anthony Taylor's like goal kick. <laughs> Then the Liverpool players like, are you actually serious? Like, are you serious? Because it was such a blatant deflection, but just the the angle that he was on, he couldn't see. And you're just watching it. You're like, how's VAR not able to just go? Not nah, Anthony. That was that was clearly off a City player. The ref doesn't need to review it. The ref can go, Ooh, okay, overturned corner. Um, and so I think in these instances too, it's like we don't necessarily need to have a review. If you try, you know, like if there is trust between the VAR official and the 
actually VAR official, video assisted referee official, the VAR <laughs> and the referee. If there's trust between them, you, the referee should be able to trust that whoever's doing VAR should be able to make a call. And if it's a call that, like that, like we should be able to have a call like that. It's like, oh, that, that was a yellow. Totally. But like in that situation, there doesn't even need to be a re- like a retraction of the previous call because if the ball goes out, he like they're mic'd up. He can go, uh, I thought that was off a Man City player. What did you see? And if they go, uh, I thought that was a goal kick and that, they go, no, it's off a Man City player, definitely. Um, then they can go, cool, it's a corner. Rather than, <laughs> you know, like I, I would hate for us to end up in this situation, which I, I know you're not advocating for, but I think the Premier League, given their track record, may end up in where it's like, pause. Okay, well, um, let's just wait for uh, let's wait for a good two to three minutes to uh, review the footage uh, back and forward a few times. Um, no one will know what's going on, and the outcome may or may not be the correct one. <laughs> like totally, um, yeah. I, I I I definitely take that point as well. Of like the one of the most painful sporting experiences I ever went to was a rugby game about fifteen years ago here, and the Melbourne Storm were playing, and they stopped it to review things every. Like every 10 minutes, there was a two minute stoppage to review something. And that really took all the excitement out of the game. So yeah, I'm definitely not advocating for that. To me, it just kind of feels like, like, let's say if I'm coming around to your house and you're standing at your gate and I'm walking up the street and someone comes in and mugs me, right? If you're standing there and you go, you know what? I would like to get involved with that, but I actually couldn't come across and get involved in that and help you out there. So sorry, you're on your own. It's like, I would prefer maybe if you just weren't there and I just get mugged and that's okay, fine. That's what happened. Unlucky. Or if you're there, come and help. So I Mm. think it's, that's where I just feel it's like, that's where my frustration really comes from, where I'm like, there's a person sitting there watching this game, but it's like, they've just got such strict rules of like when they can say anything, when they can intervene and do that. And I'm just like, I, I guess I just maybe feel that at the moment to me, the balance isn't right because something like that where a player can tackle someone and put them out for the season um, is a, it's a very bad challenge and that can vastly impact the game a lot more than if an offside was given or not. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're talking about what is, uh, you know, when you hear pundits or whoever be like, what is the deal with fans going so crazy these days? Why is, why is everyone <laughs> so crazy? And it's like, well, especially during the pandemic where everyone's at home, uh, when everyone was in lockdown, this is the like one piece of live entertainment that, that exists. But even now that that's not the case, it's like you get the double blow of, okay, that was an injustice. The ref didn't call it. That should have been a free kick or that should have been a penalty or that should have been whatever. Um, and then you're like, okay, but now it will go to the video referee who then also do <laughs> either do nothing or get it wrong or whatever. And so it's like this, like there's two failures of the governing body in a game rather than just the potential for one where it's like, Mm. you can be like, the ref didn't call it. They made an error. That's an injustice. I hate them. I'm furious, whatever. (laughs) And then it's over. But now it's like, well, no, they got it wrong. And then the person that's meant to stop them from getting it wrong has also done something that has meant that the correct call isn't given. Uh, Justice has been uh, thwarted, decimated, whatever you want to say, twice, um, mm. rather than just once. Um, I think you've nailed it. I think that's exactly what it is. And that's why that frustration builds up on it. 
because yeah, you're right. Like you sit there and you go, all right, the ref should catch it. Oh, they've missed it. All right. This the other person should catch it. Oh, they've missed it. Whoa. And it seems like it doesn't just seem like another small decision. It's like multiplies the, the frustration with the first decision. Um, mm. And then you just get situations. Yeah. Where you're just like, yeah, you're right. You've been frustrated twice. And that's why it just gets so annoying um, when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing that I've sort of been, and I, I think this is just Spurs fan anxiety, but uh, you know, we've come good under Conte, like the performances are consistently good now. I feel like I'm back in, uh, peak potch where I, I'm in the good part of peak potch where I'm not expecting us to win every game, but every game I'm surprised by how good we play. Um, and with the, um, tenacity that we play and the, you know, the passing movement is every game at the moment still feels like a a surprise. I think maybe it's the Mourinho effect where I'm like, Oh my God, we're, we're passing out from the back and it's working. Um, <laughs> but the thing that, wa- that worries me is, you know, I've had a, f- a couple of people, uh, say to me, um, Oh, you guys next season with Conte with a preseason. And, and we've said it on this podcast, um, you guys are going to be unbelievable. You're going to compete for the league. And I wonder how much the Conte effect comes. He comes in, uh, preseason. No one knows what to expect from him. Uh, well, you kind of know he's going to play through at the back and there's going to be automations, but there hasn't been this level of preparation before another season before, especially in the premier league. Um, but mind you, having said that, was it the second season in Milan that he won? So maybe I'm completely, uh, talking absolute shit. Yeah. I think it was the second season in, in Milan that he won. He may have possibly won the like Coppa Italia or something in the first season, possibly. Mm-hmm. But I think it was the second yep. season where he came in and won um, the, yeah. Cause he was there overseeing a season where they made a few purchases that like yep. then turned them into like, all right, we're going for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then thinking about like he won uh, the uh, Scudetto three times with Juve. So I'm full of shit. Um, I also, but, uh, I also, it, sorry. It, I also think that with Juve, it might've also been not in the first season either. I think it was in the second season that he won. I th- I think. Okay, cool. Um, well, it turns out it's just a uh, delusion. Um, so let's move, <laughs> let's move on from that. Let's beat that whole bit out in editing. Um, no, but I th- Conte I th- is a genius. I think to that, to that whole thing though, that there is a, an expectation now that, um, I do think there is a very dangerous place that we can get into as Spurs fans with where we are now, because we've had some really good results with Conte, but it still is such a pressure cooker situation um, from what, how most fans are treating this, because the more games we win and the better we play, it seems like now the expectation is that we are going to win the title next season. And <laughs> yeah. fans are talking about it like, we better back on Tate. Now it's so much even more of like, we've got to back on Tate, got to back him, got to back him, got to back in. It's like, let's not rehash all this. We have already backed him <laughs> very mm. with what we've done in this summer window with a lot of decisions made. But it just seems like that expectation just keeps building. And I think that in some ways, the expectation overall is good in the sense of like, it is good for us to get into a place that we expect to play well and we don't want to just drop back into having this like underdog siege mentality, which is like what Mourinho started doing with us. And um, we've had that sort of in the past before where it's always, oh, we're up against it. We're up against it. Like now we're in fourth and we're kind of in the driving seat because we play Arsenal, we beat Arsenal like, and we win the rest of our games. We're, we're fourth. So I think 
raising our expectations and being like confident around that is good. But I really do worry that like there's, <laughs> can you imagine like fans are going to be expecting or demanding that we sign players on like the first day of the transfer window. And that is not going to happen. And if we don't do that, it doesn't mean we're not back in contact. It doesn't mean we won't do well next season, but there are really no guarantees. And regardless of the business that we do in the summer, like there are no guarantees for us to go out and win the league next season. So I think it's like, we can kind of build on this and get really excited for how well we're playing, but we really still should have some kind of like realistic expectation of like, let's not start getting shitty <laughs> if, if we don't do the, like, if we don't do the treble next year. Yeah. I, I <laughs> hope, I mean, I hope we do do the treble, but, um, also I've started to notice, which is, you know, like Conte ball progressing that a pass will be played by one of our players. And I'm like, why'd you play it that way? Where are you going? And then there's just someone there. Um, which is so satisfying <laughs> to watch as a fan. Um, and I long may it continue. Um, but in terms of the summer signings, we, I know we had a question posted on the discord, um, about, uh, summer signings and who we might sign. And I, I can name positions, but I literally couldn't tell you really, cause I've just been trying to, I'm still exhausted from January. Um, yeah. but did you, Dan, have any, um, uh, insight, any, uh, hopes, dreams about who we might sign or who we might sell? Um, yeah. So that question came in from KT and it was asking how many additions do we think we would need to make Spurs title challenges, assuming that everyone in the current squad stays for next season, including Kane, uh, and KT suggested at least four signings, left center back, right wing back striker and center midfield to turn next season around. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't have any ideas for names because, I think it's really, really challenging. And I think, honestly, you get two two to three players into that team, plus another one or two maybe squad players. And I'd be very happy with that. So I'm not still part of this camp thinking like, all right, we need to sort of sell half the squad. We need to do this, that, everything else. It's like for our front three, if we could keep Bergwijn and if we could get a backup forward, someone who is happy to, you know, get rotated, but mainly be sitting behind Kane, then, um, you know, I'm happy with that. But it's like, that's a very difficult thing to scout for, to scout for, hey, is this player comfortable to come into our club and play a backup role? Because you can still get a player who's at a much lower club or playing in a much lower league. And it's really hard to know until you're actively negotiating, engaging with them, if they're going to come and go like, no, 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 my, my client wants to start wherever they go. Or if it's like, no, my client is happy to come into the Premier League. They just want to play there and they would love to have a chance of winning something, even if it is off the bench. So I think that's where, to me, it is so challenging. Um, but I do think that, like, yeah, I think for us to really sort of go for the title, I would say we would need a world-class wingback on either side. Um, I think, to me, that would probably be the most like the, the, the biggest and the most important signing we could make. I think Davies is, but Davies could, could sustain playing at left center back um, for next season. Like uh, to me, that's not the the biggest priority. If there is a chance in the market to grab a world-class, like I know there's all these talks about, you know, previously Diego Carlos and all this sort of stuff. If we can get someone like that, of course, great, go for it. But that's why I kind of feel like it's really, really challenging to, to really put a whole specific names on these players because we do have some 
excellent players in the squad. And now it's like half the squad or even more, two thirds of it, they're not really players that are upgradable because we already have excellent players there. And for us to upgrade, we're going to have to go out and spend 80, 90 million on players. So I honestly um, don't think I can uh, give you <laughs> like in terms of specific players, but I think, look, if we can get two, two, two decent players that, you know, could feasibly come in as starters um, and then, a, f a few others to sort of like bulk out different areas of the squad a little bit more and maybe give us some more like for like replacements, maybe get another box to box midfielder in. Um, then I think we would be in a pretty good position to start, to start coming close to challenging. Totally. I think, um, I agree with you for the most part. I think in terms of the wingbacks, um, we're, we're going to sign one, probably not world-class, but, uh, like very strong developing wing back or, you know, you know, for a, a pretty reasonable, what do I mean? Reasonable. We're talking millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> It'll be like mid rate, like 50 million, which is more than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And then what we'll need is one of Sessegnon, Reggion, Doherty, um, or Royale, if, if he wants to pull that out of the bag to kick on and become really, really good. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of the center backs, um, I think it would be really good for us to sign a great left-sided center back because Davies is going to get injured at some point, but also, um, we need someone that's going to compete with him and push him out of the team. And if he gets pushed out of the team by this new left, uh, left-sided center back, um, the fact that we have him as a replacement given his performances this season is, is phenomenal. Um, and I can't see given the way that he plays that he's going to be a particularly attractive option for a lot of teams. Um, so that is going to work quite well. I think you're right about another box to box midfielder. Um, I mean, given that we, we still own La Ola Celso and, uh, and <laughs> Bele, um, I would be shocked if either of them came back and played next season, but you know, it's still a possibility. Well, it seems like the Chelsea at the moment is more likely because he seems to be playing well. And I think he's a lot more affordable than, um, and Dombele. But, and I know as well that the price we're setting for Ndombele is really more for PSG to go, Hey, you mm. should come and buy him. Not for actually Leon, but, um, yeah, we, we always just forget about, we still have them, but I think you're right. They, I'd be very surprised if they, if they were back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be strange. Um, in terms of like, for I, I would be imagine how uh, much uh, more damaging it would be, or uh, I don't know, it it wouldn't be I wouldn't feel it maybe emotionally as much, but in terms of, or or, or rather in terms of like disappointment or sadness. But imagine if Harry Kane this summer then tried to move again, you'd be like, dude, you have Conte <laughs> as the manager. The front three is fantastic. Like, what can you possibly want now? Like, what what is it? You just don't want to be at this club anymore. And I think if he's to agitate for a move again um, to Man City, I think that it would be such a death knell to his, uh, you know, his sort of resurgent popularity with Spurs fans, especially with Conte at the helm, because Conte's not going to be like, well, Harry Kane is a player and he's our player and who knows? Conte's going to be like, he's a traitor and I want to rip his head off, like in press conferences. Mm. So um, I, I very much doubt that he would do that, but yeah, it's, it's you know, interesting that that's even been brought up, I guess. 
Yeah, and and I think the interesting thing with Kane now is that we get to the end of the season and it's two year, two years left. So, uh, for him to stay on, we would be wanting him to sign a new contract, um, because we wouldn't want to go through next season and have him then have one year left at the end after that. So I feel like, you know, Kane and Conte have spoken very highly of each other, and I think they both see each other as crucial to Spurs' development and Spurs' likelihood of winning something. So. It wouldn't surprise me if they are like they probably would talk about this too. Like I'm sure they've had a, you know conversations themselves about like that you know that how crucial they see the other one as to, for them both to stay. And it's kind of like a hey, let's do this. Like let's actually try and push on. Um, and we're in a weird situation because like yeah, yeah, Conte's contract is not super long term, but. It sort of seems like if we get to this summer and then we make, you know, uh, make the signings we're talking about and look like, all right, cool, we're in a pretty good position for next year, then there's probably the likelihood that Conte signs on a longer deal, in which case then Kane might also go, all right, I don't want to sign another five-year deal, but I'm willing to extend my contract by a year or two. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I think it's like, it's going to be really interesting what happens. And I do think, yeah, if Kane starts agitating again, like it's really challenging because we would just need to try and move very quickly, I think, to avoid unsettling Conte and unsettling uh, the rest of the players that we would be looking to get in. Because if Kane wants to move at the end of the season, that even it doesn't look good saying, you know, to, to players like Romero, to players like Kulisevsky. Um Son, I think, is just so wrapped that he just, you know, yeah. he'll just stay and he's too nice to like angle for anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's like, it's an important summer, but again, not putting this in the, like, we must back Conte sort of thing. I think it's just an important summer for the club to work together and not try and, you know, just feel like there's just, you know, it's us versus Conte. It's the fans versus the club. It's this, that, it's everything else. It's like, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. And there are a whole bunch of forwards moving around, which will kick off a whole big transfer merry-go-round. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens then. Yeah. I think... This is version two of the was it the seventeen eighteen window where um, there was kind of we didn't sign anyone but we didn't lose anyone either and given previous to that Spurs had sold some of their best players or their best assets mm. um, that was a uh, although frustrating and probably was the death knell for Pochettino um, was a, a marker of intent in terms of we don't sell anymore to Premier League rivals. We're now, we're, we're part of this group yeah. and it didn't work. Um, but it seems like this is the second chance to be like, we don't sell anyone and now we're going to buy more players and we're going to really bolster the squad, um, for next season. And especially with who knows what's going to happen with Chelsea in terms of, um, you know, who's finishing where that might be another little, um, uh, I don't know what I want to say here, window into, into that top echelon. Um, Newcastle probably aren't going to be doing much next season. Um, you'd hope, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, it would be pretty, uh, it would be pretty unlikely for Kane to sort of pull that kind of thing. But who knows? The other thing that uh, I think this was mentioned on the Tottenham depot, and I thought it was a really good point that under Pochettino, Larice was Pochettino's guy. Like, you know, they got on really well. They, um, 
you know, seem to have this really good relationship. And they spoke about on, on the Tottenham Depot uh, that that seems to be the case again with the Reese sort of, um, being the representative of Conte on the field. And he sort of agrees with a lot of the, um, sentiment that Conte has and how they want to play and all that kind of stuff. And that's been missing since Pochettino, um, you know, with Mourinho and then Nuno, but it feels like, again, there is this kind of like, uh, line of, of leadership or connection of leadership on the field and off it that, um, is very important, I think, to, to success. So that's also very exciting. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think this is the, to play that last point too, like this is all very exciting. We, we are, there is something building here and you can feel that there is something building and that doesn't mean that that just needs to me, you know, be the case of getting in for 70 million pound plus players, which we're not going to do. No one's going to be doing mm. that sort of business. Um, and there are just certain players which Conte is either getting, you know, going to constantly improve or just players that like, if Conte thinks Larice is, you know, solid for another season or two, fine. Great. <laughs> like if, if like Conte is someone who's so big on like, you know, mentality and, and also high, high, high skill. Um, and mm. if he goes, yeah, Loris is my captain. I, I want him to be keeping for me next season. It's like, yeah, great. All right. I'm down for that then. <laughs> like who are we to argue on that point? And it's like, if, you know, if he's, if he sees players in the squad as, as being able to fill roles, even if we as fans have not been impressed with them in the past, someone like Doherty, like Doherty was starting to make a lot of strides to like, mm. to actually look like a, like a, a confident player in that system. Um, and obviously Conte had shown faith in him because, you know, Conte was like, you know, oversaw getting rid of all these players in January that he just didn't, didn't want, didn't think were, you know, up to it. Um, but Doherty stayed. Um, mm. Mm. and so I think there's, yeah, we're, that's where as well, Conte himself might be thinking, Hey, if you just give me Doherty over a preseason, he, he trained, cause by all accounts, whenever he speaks to him, I think he says like, he trains really well. He like, um, he's, you know, he's really impressed with the, the mentality that he has around everything. And it's like, he might just be thinking, I just need more time with him. And then that's fine. <laughs> He'll be fine to be my starting right back. And in which case we don't need it. So for us then to sit here and go like, well, we need that. And like, you know, even though I said before, like, let's get a world-class like, right back in or a, a world-class wing back. Um, yeah. If, if Conte is happy with that, then, you know, we don't get to see that mentality day in, day out and how that is improving over time. And I think it's, yeah, it ultimately comes down to, comes down to that. And I, I just think that we are operating a little bit more ruthlessly in from transfers now and that's good. So yeah, we just need to sort of trust in, in what Conte and Paratici and the club are doing. Yeah. On that, I mean, you've designed a fantastic piece, um, for Paratici watch. Um, and I really want to hear it. Um, but also at the same time, I have not seen one Skerrick of Paratici, uh, this week. I don't know if you have. There is some Skerrick of Paratici. So I, I think it would be remiss of us to the second season, uh, sorry, the second episode after Paratici watches is, uh, you know, created uh, to not have it. So, I, I mean, I think on that note. What's he been doing? What's he up to? Paratici. Paratici watch. 
All right, so Parent Teacher Watch this week. <laughs> that is the dumb. It feels dumb every time I hear it, and I love that. So please tell me what's been happening in the world of Parent Teacher. Well, okay, you weren't far from the truth, but I just felt like we probably should go through the motions of it. Um, mm. So all I saw from Parent Teacher this week <laughs> was in the Conte cam that came out uh, this evening, there are two, two clips of Parent Teacher. One is... Uh, it shows him coming out for the second half after the game has already started. Ooh. Yeah. And I thought that was a bit interesting because it's like, Ooh. it's an away game. It's not like he's caught in his office. It's not like he's doing whatever else. Like, what could he have been doing that he he, he had to come out like a, a good few minutes after the second half had started? You think he's only got one priority in that stadium to be, to be there watching the game and screaming. So that's the first Paratici sighting. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. Maybe he was having some, uh, my favorite, uh, account on Instagram at the moment is uh, footy scran, which is just, uh, photos of food around the grounds. Um, so maybe he was <laughs> indulging in some of that. Great. So wait, what, what is that? That's just an account which just has like, like food that people send in of like from around all the different grounds. So it's just like, uh, at Burnley, uh, you can get a hot dog. It costs three pounds and this is what it looks like. <laughs> Um, that's it. So it's like, a. this is what it looks like. And this is the price. And then basically a lot of the interaction is just people being like three pounds for that. Are you kidding me? Um, or being like, that's quite, that's quite a good value meal. Um, it's fantastic. I, uh, I love it. That's great. I want to follow that. And maybe yeah. it could be that because we'll have to see what is, uh, what look into that. See if there are any villa postings on there. I will. I will. Um, and see mm. what they have. I do imagine if we had something from a Spurs stadium, it'd probably be like £27.50 for three chips and like a little, little tiny bottle of sauce. There is definitely some Spurs stadium stuff on there. Um, and I remember it being, I was disappointed because it A, wasn't ridiculously expensive and and horrible, nor was it cheap and good. It was just kind of in the middle of like, oh. Yeah. Um, but uh, fingers crossed, more emerges. Not as dramatic as we might be hoping for. Um, well, then there's this, the second Paratici watch. They were the, mm. the team were going off the field. Um, Hoybier was heading off. This is after the game's done. And then Paratici pulls Hoybier back to have a word with him. What could they have been speaking about? I can imagine that it would be, I can imagine those two like playing um, chess or, or they've got like, they've got some kind of weird joint Sudoku account online <laughs> that it's like, do you, have you done the thing? Have you done the numbers? And it's like, uh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, it would be something weird. I can imagine. I've, I've been playing Fabio. I've been playing the game right now. I've been playing <laughs> yeah. for 90 minutes. Yeah. I can imagine it would be something very, or, or like, have you bought us a new ferret for, 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 for ferret racing? Have you got the new ferret? I've been looking at Georgia, Georgia, the ferret all day. Have you bought her? Like it'd be something very strange that they have some kind of joint interest in. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Cause like looking at someone like Paratisha, like there's no chance that he's just into normal stuff. <laughs> like his office, like would just be an absolute kink palace. I think. Absolutely. I think it would be, I think it would be, there'd be like exotic birds. Um, there, there might be some kind of like relic from the lost city of Atlantis. Um, maybe gold from El Dorado. Um, and it would be mixed in with some personal items, like a toy he got from McDonald's. 
um, there would be a like a really weird juxtaposition between the value of of the items there in his big office that he has um, compared to what Conte's got, which is still hilarious to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't wait. I'm going to have to, I feel like I need to watch, uh, I have, I've not been that attentive in terms of the Conte cam or any of the Spurs stuff this week. And, um, I, I'm excited to watch it so that I can, uh, zero in and find some more, uh, uh, which I've been saying it wrong this entire podcast. Um, <laughs> goodness, but maybe on this podcast, it is Paratici. I think in this, it's almost like in the bit Spursy world, we, we've kind of, yeah. it's now canon that it is Paratici when yeah. really it, it shouldn't be. I mean, I feel like with your Italian heritage, you can kind of say whatever you want. I can speak for Italians and go, I'm not offended <laughs> if we don't yeah. say it properly. So therefore it's okay how we talk about him. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's all we do have for Paratici watch this week, but, um. You know, Barney as well, like, you you know, you yeah. were the creator of this segment last week, so it felt like you've jumped ship pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it was so exciting last week. He was screaming. He had to get dragged away. He was going bananas. And then this week I was watching, I mean, also it was half asleep when I was watching, um, and then watched again and just didn't really see anything, you know, I, I'm looking for bold moves, I think. I want something, like I want classic Paratici, like he's got his weird old AirPod, not even AirPods, just iPhone um, headphones in or, or whatever. And I just didn't see enough. Oh, no, I, I totally, I totally understand that. And admittedly, you know, objectively, if you were to look at this and get, if you had the Paratici watch audited by an external source this week, you'd go, it was a pretty, pretty dry Paratici watch in terms of what actually happened. But, you know, mm. I just thought that given that, you know, you'd created it last week, I was like, I'm going to make sure I get some good Paratici notes this week. <laughs> and then to, to come here and then have you almost just, just discard the whole segment. It was, uh, it was, I felt it was something important that we stick to. Mm. And I think that maybe we need to go searching for a little bit more Paratici. So like, we can't just maybe expect Paratici to come to us. Um, mm. we've got to go to him. So yeah, I'm going to do some maybe deeper research over the next week, because I'm sure there mm. are going to be traces of Paratici elsewhere. Um, mm. But we just need to, like, I don't know if you ever played that game where in the world is Carmen San Diego when you're oh, a yeah. kid. Yeah. Great game. Um, mm. And not to suggest that Paratici is globetrotting <laughs> around the planet and we're trying to find him in ancient ruins. But I think it's like, mm, we might need to search. We might need to search for some more, some, for some more of his content. I think um, Paratici and Carmen San Diego might be the same person. It's, um, although you might not find them in ruins, I think they may, they may be the same entity. I would not be surprised. Yeah. I want to watch some old interviews. I just, I'm sure he must, cause he presents quite well in interviews and I'm sure having seen him when he's not aware that he's being watched, he really pulls some whack shit. So I feel like there's gotta be, he just drops in some weirdness. Um, so yeah, We'll do a deep dive. Yeah. We'll do a deep if there's dive. no new Paratici stuff, we'll find some old historical we'll Paratici. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like in Nuno days where he's like <laughs> yelling at Nuno <laughs> and instructing the team. Um, yeah. I want to see some, or when he's got Hitchin, like who's his sidekick now? Who knows? Oh no, it's Galini. It's Galini. It's Galini. But we haven't seen Galini. Galini was not present. So I don't know if maybe Galini's <laughs> been dropped. Um mm been dropped either but i hope it's still galini because otherwise mm. what purpose does galini serve like 
absolutely none. <laughs> like, Dan beats beats, uh, DJing. It's 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 it. Wearing long jackets in the change rooms. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we um, move on to the most important part of this podcast? Yes. Which is the Abitsbursey Medal. Yes, most definitely. Um, the much heralded Abitsbursey Medal. Uh, I don't know if you can hear, but uh, my cat uh, has become extremely excited because he must have sensed with his animal senses that this was coming. So he's going absolutely bananas right now, um, unfortunately, uh, but also fortunately because he's really, um, oh, okay. I think we've been fixed. <laughs> we welcome all voices on the, uh, <laughs> on the mm. Abitsworthy medal. So, yeah. you know. All beings. So you went first last week, so I'm happy to go first this week if you'd like, unless you've, you're burning to get your votes in. No, you can you can open us up. Cool. So as I um, said uh, much earlier in the pod, uh, three votes to Larice, how could you not? Um, just a fantastic display. It's very hard here to give, uh, like, because there's multiple players that I think deserve votes. Mm. I'm going to give, um, uh, controversially, I'm going to give two to Kulisevsky because I feel like um although he scored one goal and got an assist his his role if it had been lucas there we wouldn't have played the way that we played and sonny maybe wouldn't have got the hat trick that he got so i'm going to give him two and then one to sonny because he's got a hat trick like how can you how can you not um but then i also am leaving out romero so i'm going to give a um bonus point to romero because well he's just unbelievable um, in terms of uh, negative votes, I'm going to give um, negative 10 to cash um, because what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Jim Beglin, I'm going to give uh, <laughs> negative uh, 200 billion um, because you are the worst man in the world. Um, in terms of like, I, I've got so many other positive votes that I want to give uh, negative votes, but I'm going to call it there to keep the integrity of this medal intact. No. Um, yeah, very lovely votes. Lovely votes. Um, I like on a couple of them, you said, you know, how could you not? And I feel like I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm going to not. So I'm controversially, uh, and this could be maybe in response to how the Abitsposing Middle has gone sort of previously. I'm going to give three votes to Conte. Um, Whoa. Yeah, good. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Because I was looking at it and um, for the community votes that have uh, all come in from the discord and just from our previous episodes, it just kind of occurred to me. It's like, Conte's got like three votes overall. <laughs> and it's like, he's, he's like, he's, he's probably had a pretty big role in how we've gone, mm. um, this season and often overlooked. And I don't know if my three votes is really going to help too much with that, but I'm going to give three votes to Conte because I think now that consistency that's happening across the team, of course it goes down to the players, but also that consistency I think comes down to the manager a lot more too. Um, mm. So I'm giving three votes to Conte. Um, I am going to give two votes to, I think as well, Kulisevsky, uh, because I agree with you that it's like he kind of made two goals from nothing. And yeah, Son scored a hat trick. And one was a, uh, it was a very good finish in the first, in the, you know, third minute, but it kind of just fell to him. Um, and then the one that he scored from Kulisevsky, like Kulisevsky made that the other one, he was played through. So they weren't particularly sort of like challenging finishes from Son, even though they were um, unbelievably, unbelievably clinical. 
Um, so I think, yeah, Kulisevsky's impact, I think, is is enabling Son to uh, to sort of do what he does a little bit more. And now it's like Son's role, he can kind of just pop up and score. And it doesn't really matter if he's not doing too much else because we've got Kulisevsky, who's, I think, a lot better at just carrying the ball um, forward. So, yeah, again, Kulisevsky too, because he's kind of pulling the strings a lot more um, in how this attack is playing. Um I'm going to give one to uh, one to Kane, I think. Um, um, because I th- he played well, a couple of like really lovely headed, um, like just little flicks through as well for assists, uh, encouragement award for Son for a hat trick, which sounds stupid saying it like that. <laughs> like it just sounds nuts. Yep. Um, but I'm here. Uh, I'm going to give encouragement award for Hugo, um, for what he's done. And then, yeah, negative votes, like, I mean, the Graham Scott and negative 20. Um, mm. Yeah, Cash, uh, maybe negative five. I was impressed that Cash didn't do any of his stupid long throws, which I was mm. really worried about before this game. Or were not worried about, but, like, I was just going to get frustrated because I was like, they take up so much time and, and they're just, it's just so disgusting. But he didn't do a single one of them, so he only gets negative five for that challenge. Um, oh, I'll give one more encouragement award to uh, uh, to to Doherty. I hope he uh, recovers quickly. And then the last one is uh, for Region for his celebration that he did with Kulisewski. And there's been a clip that's been put up on Twitter this week, um, and we've also got it up on the Discord in uh, in our other clips channel. Uh, and it basically shows like Region as being this unbelievable hype man for our players. And there's just clips of him like. Uh, Kane scoring in other games and uh, Region running behind him and mimicking Kane's like jump and little like sort of <laughs> gut punch thing that he does. And then in this game, Kulisevsky Kulise- uh, scores and then Region's going towards him and he's like doing this weird, like it looks like he's almost this like tribal dancer. He's like slapping his thighs and then like he shakes his head all over the place and then he just like goes up and gives this really aggressive chest bump into Kulisewski <laughs> who kind of grabs him and hugs him. And he's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the vibe of like, I'll oh, calm down a little bit. Like, it's okay. Um, but I think like, yeah, Region, um, he's still, uh, you know, still a very raw yard player, but I just love he, how much he loves when we score. And it's like, he laps it up every single time. So keep out an eye for this next game. I, I, if Reggion is on the pitch and we score, I guarantee he'll be the first player over to celebrate with the goal scorer. He's got that speed so he can get there and he's also <laughs> flipping out. It's so funny. Um, I, I I don't know if you saw uh, talking about celebrations when Sonny scored the first goal and everyone kind of hugs him and celebrates and blah, blah, blah. And then Romero comes up to him and looks like he's about to punch him in the face. And it, for a moment, I was like, what is happening now? What? And then some, they have, you can't see Romero's face. And Sonny kind of looks quite serious. And then they laugh and then he hugs him. I really would love to know what the hell that was. Because um, it was bananas. Maybe that's, uh, maybe Romero missed what happened. And then he sprinted over to him and he's like, thought we could see it or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what was all that about? And it's like, oh, we scored. I scored. And like, oh, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really keep to a position. I just kind of move around yeah. and I'm um, just in the place where the ball is. So what happened? I was sliding in on someone on the wing. I, I don't know what, yeah, what just happened. Then. No idea. I've got no idea. Um, uh, yeah, I would love to know. 
Um, all right. Well, I guess that's us for this week. Unless there's anything else you want to add, Dan? No, I think we've uh, we've covered absolutely everything. Um, mm. And yeah, if you would like to ask us some uh, some more questions, feel free to jump on the Discord. We've got um, a new spot there where, yeah, you can chuck in any questions you have and we'll try and answer them on the next episode. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. It's been another really fun week and yeah, as our rivals keep losing points, Barney, and we keep, uh, keep going. Um, and I think we said this earlier, but what you said to me too, is that everyone else is being Spursy apart from us right now. Um, and it actually just feels really good because suddenly all the sort of negative chatter from rival fans has dissipated and it's very silent out there, um, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone else is Spursy apart from us. We are uh, we are just a solid winning machine, um, and I love them all. I love them all, all down to their cotton socks. Um, <laughs> as always, I've I've played the role of Barney in this podcast, uh, and I have reprised the role of Dan uh, for the reunion tour. Um, yeah, ask us some questions on the Discord. Um, ask us some theoretical stupid questions um, about uh, conversations <laughs> between players. I'd love that. Um, You're not really going to get like data-led insight questions on like... If you ask us about XG, happen. we're probably not going to be able to help you out too much. <laughs> ask Nathan A. Clark yeah. <laughs> um, if that's what your, what your jam is. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to A Bit Spursy and come on you Spurs. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.